welcome to the CMIO podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and a CMIO, and the host of CMIO podcast. And today I have with me Dr. Mark Tobias, an emergency room physician from the University of Pennsylvania, also a board-certified informaticist and a software developer, and just a really smart guy. I think you're going to really enjoy what he has to say. Uh, Mark, uh, say hello to uh, to the audience, and if you would, just finish off the introduction for anything I might have missed. Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Mark Tobias. I am CEO and founder of Phrase Health, also adjunct faculty in the informatics department at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and an adjunct assistant professor of emergency medicine at University of Pennsylvania. So what, what that's a long-winded way of saying is I spend the vast majority of my time as part of a company really trying to deliver value to organizations via clinical decision support and, and EHR optimization more generally. But I'm also still very involved in, in research and, uh, and do spend some clinical time in the ER still. So, so my background uh, is in computer science. I also had an undergraduate degree in economics very interested in this idea of optimization and improvement. Um, and when I was starting to finish up residency, uh, that's when the ACGME started coming out with this clinical informatics fellowship. So I was actually one of the first formal ACGME informatics fellows in the country. And while there, I really focused on interoperability. And that's where I, I started exploring clinical decision support where we actually won some awards from the Department of Health and Human Services and Health 2.0 around uh, public remote content. And then uh, what I really started identifying was that organizations were uh, not necessarily struggling with the content, but really a holistic approach to CDS. And that's where, where I've really focused my research and uh, the dedication of my company towards that. Yeah, so Mark, I consider you to be one of the uh, national experts on clinical decision support. Um, you uh, you mentioned you have a company that's is that Phrase Health? Is that did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, so Phrase Health, and and like I mentioned before, that was uh, research that started at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and then was just spun out as a company earlier this year. So, what what are some leading institutions doing around clinical decision support? Name, name some, if you know of any that are out there doing a really good job at this. Name them, and what are they doing that is adding value to the clinical decision support space? Because I know a lot of CMIOs struggle with this. So, help us know what the best are doing. Sure. So, what what I want to start off by talking about is really what is decision support, and I think oftentimes when people talk about decision support, they're thinking about alerts, order sets, no templates, and, and the content piece itself. Uh, but I want to kind of take a step back and, and from an operational perspective, especially if this is going to be geared towards CMIOs and other uh, leaders uh, in the informatics space, is we should start thinking about CDS more as a clinical intervention as a whole. So as clinicians, we're used to this idea of in the clinic prescribing an antibiotic to somebody but we don't, we don't just kind of wipe our hands clean and say, all right, we're done. It really then takes the step of determining, was it a success? Was, did it fail? Were there adverse uh, events as a result of this intervention? And this is really where organizations, when they start kind of viewing CDS in this way, kind of start uh, showing off this robust culture of process improvement and quality improvement as a whole. So 
what I want to talk about a little bit is uh, when my colleagues and I at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia started really engaging with a lot of organizations, not just around the country, but around the world, around how they were doing CDS, we, we started pulling out certain themes that were coming up repeatedly. Uh, and we developed uh, something we call the CDS maturity model. And we presented this at a couple of conferences and actually just recently were accepted uh, for publication. So hopefully it'll be more widely distributed. But there's really three core dimensions that I think organizations progress along when it comes to CDS at the organizational level. One is content. So the build itself, what the content is saying, what the alert says, for example, uh, analytics. So how are you actually evaluating the performance of success, failure, malfunctions? And third, the third dimension is governance. So how is the group of people doing intake and review and doing that constant monitoring. So there are definitely some organizations that have really matured along a lot of these dimensions. Um, I think one of them uh, is Adam Wright and, and his group up at Partners uh, who have published a lot around this work uh, in the analytics realm. They've done things like um, anomaly detection, which I think is obviously reflective of a very mature organization where they're at a point where instead of having self-service analytics, they're having a system actually automate the process of evaluating where areas might be broken. Uh, there are other organizations that have done a really nice job, and, and I'll give credit to Duke University. Uh, they've done some really nice presentations on how they've standardized usability for the content piece. So making sure that alerts always look the same, no matter kind of what um, specialty it's targeted at, so that users know that when the color is red, that it's severe or that the buttons are always kind of similarly uh, typed out. And then finally, when it comes to, to governance, one of the organizations that we've worked with recently is the University of Pennsylvania. They've done a remarkable job as a multi-hospital system of having uh, multidisciplinary teams come in and really having a very robust way of engagement across multiple different, what would otherwise be siloed groups within a health system. Uh, and really trying to kind of bring in a bunch of people uh, from these different groups and have them engaged in CDS. And what we found is that really enables a more agile, um, kind of quick uh, process improvement uh, uh, approach when it comes to clinical decision support as a whole. Hmm. So, uh, hey, before I forget, make sure you let us know when that journal article comes out because uh, we will definitely give it a shout out here on sure, CMIO Podcast. Um, so, see if I got this right in terms of the life cycle, perhaps, of clinical decision support. Uh, when an organization goes live with their EMR, they're probably going to take what comes out of the box from the vendor. And they are then going to kind of go into a little bit, once after go live, going to uh, alert shock. They're, they're going to be a little bit overwhelmed by what they're getting in terms of their clinical decision support. It's not going to be fine-tuned for their particular needs. So they kind of go into a reactive mode of shutting off probably as much as they possibly can. And then they try to, you know, stress test their governance process around this and say, well, you know, which ones get turned back on and which ones are we going to use and how do we keep track of it? Then you talk about a very mature organization, which really seems to have those processes in place around governance, around what kind of alerts are we putting in, what kind of clinical decision support in general are we using to drive quality. Does that sound like a reasonable life cycle to you? Yeah, no, I think that that sounds really good. I, Informatics 101, this was drilled into our head as fellows, is 
technology is not going to solve the problem uh, on its own. So I think implementing these systems really involve uh, not just technology, but almost more importantly, people and processes. And I think to your point, when you kind of get the shiny new EHR, it comes with a lot of pre-built alerts uh, and, and you kind of inherently will almost universally turn those on because you don't necessarily have time when going through a go live uh, to really kind of stress test, uh, as you kind of alluded to, all of these different workflows and processes. So I think one of the unfortunate things that comes from this is I, I almost feel like there's this refractory period where even if you start turning off a lot of alerts and, and uh, turning off this bad decision support, users have already been uh, kind of trained to this idea that these alerts are not really meant for them. They're not uh, effective in, in driving actually help for them, which is what decision support is meant to do. Um, so then these teams will try to kind of go backwards and try to reset that, that bill. And, and I think what what is can be really challenging is that it does require time it requires resources and it requires people at the end of the day to actually start uh, setting up these mature processes whether it's governance uh, convincing leadership that you need better analytics or or that you need uh, i mean even going so far as as human factors experts to kind of help drive and make sure that people are actually interpreting the cds that you're presenting appropriately uh, it can be a lot of work, but at the end of the day, I think it could be really effective in driving change. So let's try this. Maybe maybe you can walk me through this a little bit and paint a picture for me. I, I've got this great idea for this new quality thing that we want to do. We want to drive this. What does it look like to do it right? Not only the setup, but to make sure once it's live that it's actually going the way we want. Can you comment on that? Sure. So. I think kind of going back to that maturity model and those three dimensions, you can kind of start answering that question across all of those. So I think to your point, step one is really identifying the problem and implementing some solution. And the solution obviously comes after uh, thinking about workflows, thinking about is the, the solution a, a technical one? Is it a workflow change? Um, there are different approaches to coming up with that solution. But now let's say that you've implemented a solution. I think where the status quo unfortunately is today at a lot of organizations is, all right, we were tasked with uh, trying to address this with some solution. Now we got to move on because we have this queue that is uh, piling up where we have to move on to the next priority that the organization is passing down to us. I think that's a real shame because Again, if you start thinking about CDS as process improvement, you now have the solution that's been implemented. So now we start looking at things like governance and analytics and, and even kind of per our paper, we, there are parts of the content itself that I think can help even drive some of the iterative processes here. So with analytics, if you have dashboards that can provide data, I mean, some organizations are still relying on actually needing to submit reports to get the data and that can, I mean, we've heard up to months to get some of these reports back and you can imagine it's very hard to do process improvement with that type of uh, lag time. But let's say you get some reports and you can now identify is this meeting the goals or is this not. Um, one of the things that again organizations like Duke have done really really well is implementing a feedback mechanism and actually Adam Wright and his group had, had recently published a paper Cranky Comments where they were able to uh, 
by just by looking at the feedback that people were giving uh, for some of their content, we're able to identify a significant number of malfunctions. Um, so implementing things like that to say, all right, well, the data looks okay, but how are people actually responding to it? So looking at some of that feedback. And then again, having some governance structure in place where you've set up some cadence where, all right, we're gonna look at this uh, quality improvement project or process again, let's look at it in a month, let's look at it again in six months uh, and make sure that it's sustaining the goals that we have in place. Because if it's really not moving the needle, we should consider just removing it all together and starting from scratch, or we should start making iterative improvements and then restart this cycle, obviously in as quick of a iteration as possible so that this doesn't drag on for years and years. So I've talked to a lot of CMIOs around the country and I'm, I get the feeling that in, in the more mature models that this, yes, that is what happens. I feel a lot of the post analytic work is more ad hoc. Do you get the feeling that it's, you know, hey, when someone starts complaining about the clinical decisions report, that's when we go back and look at it. I'm not sure there's a systematic review of content of functionality that happens on a routine basis. What's your feeling about, you know, does that happen or, or is it just I, I have a very uh, unique sample that I've grabbed that just seems to struggle with it? Yeah, no, I think almost universally you're right. And I think that's unfortunate. And and this is going to be one of the struggles of clinical informatics going forward is really proving the value of the work that we do. Because there are some organizations where their leadership have definitely bought into this idea that clinical informatics is driving a lot of value, even though that value might not be a direct billable code that you can send to an insurance company or payer. So I think that the state of today is that, yeah, we're going to implement this and then just keep our fingers crossed and we don't have enough people uh, engaged, not just in informatics, but across the organization to really do this review. Um, so I do think that that's the status quo when it comes to uh, clinical decision support like alerts. I think when, when uh, order sets come to mind, there tends to be a little bit more rigid of a process because there are regulatory requirements around there. Mm -hmm. uh, All right. what, what I have seen is that more mature organizations will dedicate more resources to actually not just meeting the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law of, all right, we actually need to do a, a holistic review of this and make sure that we're making changes that are appropriate. I think what we find less mature organizations do is send out an email to some stakeholders that with 20 order sets listed and say, hey, does this look good? They get a quick response that says, yeah, and rubber stamp it through. Sure, you, you've technically reviewed it, but are you actually driving the change that that, uh, that, that review mandate was really uh, implemented for. So yeah, well I think said. you'll see variation based on maturity, based on resources available. One thing that I will stress that we've really seen uh, kind of top-notch organizations do is really start engaging people outside of kind of the informatics bubble. I think it's very easy uh, when you're running a CDS group to just kind of focus on the people who attend those meetings and the people who are involved in CDS. But if you start thinking about what CDS is, it really spans the entire organization. So you're bringing in subject matter experts who are clinicians, you're bringing in IS, uh, almost universally, there's some quality uh, improvement team in the hospital that's doing something with the EHR, uh, and oftentimes they're siloed as well. So if you can start unleashing this uh, identical data across all these different groups, it starts bringing people together and distributing some of the responsibilities and takes a lot of that off of the informatics team 
and helps foster this culture of process improvement. In terms of governance structures that you've seen that are that are effective, that promote healthy clinical decision support, what are you seeing out there that, that you feel to be very effective? I, I know that what I've seen in smaller organizations, you, you're seeing smaller teams, very quick, nimble type processes. When you get into organizations that have 20 hospitals, it's just an entirely different beast. Do you have any thoughts about governance around clinical decision support that seems to work? Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. So there is not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach to governance. To your point, if you have 10 hospitals that are across multiple states, you're going to have a very different governance makeup than if you're a single hospital system that has a kind of a very focused uh, kind of specialty or, or goal. Uh, one is going to have a variety of stakeholders with different patient populations, and the other one is going to, again, have a very focused group of people. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all uh, approach to that. Um, but I also think uh, it depends on that organizational investment. So again, going back to those order set reviews, a governance structure, if you have limited resources and investment from the institution to do order set reviews is basically going to be just sending out an email and saying, hey, do these things look good? And getting responses that say, yeah, that looks fine. Uh, let's kind of keep going where more complex uh, systems typically have more resources to have uh, governance structures in place that really engage a lot of these different stakeholders uh, and allow you to perform uh, more uh, robust reviews of your CDS. Uh, but again, kind of going back to this idea that despite the size of an organization, we have seen a lot of benefits that come from engaging different stakeholders. So whether you're a large multi-hospital system or you're a single hospital system or a small uh, practice, if you're able to engage people outside of kind of the core informatics team, you will see some benefits when it comes to, to things like governance. In terms of who should be involved in this, do you have any, you know, everyone has different titles and names for the positions, but in general, sure, the CMIO is involved, but who else gets involved? Either you could start with this on the creation side or on the post on the analytics side. What, what does it look like? Yeah, so we, as part of our that maturity model that we came up with, we actually saw a gradation of uh, governance structures. I think what we kind of called the most foundational level was really, I mean, we talked to organizations, large health systems, where there was really just one person that was their governance structure. And unfortunately, oftentimes things would get built uh, by going around them or people didn't even know that that person was the go-to when it came to implementing uh, CDS. And that can be a very messy situation and obviously can uh, drive uh, going away from standardization and some of those usability principles as well as other problems. <clears throat> then moving up towards a uh, governance structure where you have multiple people uh, meeting at some regular cadence, I think that's kind of the next level. And then really kind of the, the most mature, uh, for at least for a governance structure, is where you start having multidisciplinary teams uh, coming to those governance meetings. And I think to your question, we've seen kind of the, the most mature organizations, including physicians, nursing, pharmacy, uh, IT, so the people who are actually doing the build, uh, we've seen other organizations even include the legal folks as part of these discussions, which I 
um, think can be good, but also potentially uh, bad if it if it leads to a lot of really conservative management. Um, Mm-hmm. So, and then even getting some kind of higher level leadership involved in these meetings can be really helpful uh, if these are strategically aligned goals. So, See chief quality officers getting involved? Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, chief medical officers, I guess, as well would be, be another one. Yep. So what tools are available to help CMIOs with clinical decision support, keeping track of all of their uh, data that's out there, their content, the analytics? Uh, I had a guest on, our our last guest, we were talking about what percent of the content do we think actually gets reviewed, and I threw out a number, I think maybe 10% in an organization, they actually review their clinical decision support content. But what's out there to help someone keep track of this? Sure, and I'll I'll kind of go through this again through this lens of those three dimensions of content, analytics, and governance. So I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners are aware that there are companies that kind of fill all of these niches uh, from the content space. There are companies that are providing uh, alerts and order sets. Um, additionally, when you start looking at feedback mechanisms like the ones that that were published, there are companies like Redcap, or I don't even know if it's a company, but open source software like Redcap that allows you to solicit surveys and have that um, kind of provide that feedback loop for you to make improvements there. I think from the analytics realm, uh, there are definitely companies out there, large companies that uh, allow organizations to uh, build their own dashboards like Tableau or Click. Um, and then the EHR vendors almost universally, as far as I know, have some method for doing analytics, whether it's in a visualized form or whether it is in some more uh, kind of delivering reports for, for their uh, end users. And then finally, in the governance space, I mean, honestly, I think what we've seen most often is organizations just using Excel spreadsheets to track this. I think that definitely serves the, the goal of, of being able to track things. Again, when you're trying to engage a lot of people and, and have a centralized document, obviously, it's not as easy to coordinate when you have a saved file like that. Um, so there are companies that do that. And then there are other companies that actually facilitate the review process. So allow people to disseminate uh, reviews to people and complete them uh, in some automated fashion. And I think uh, what what my company, Phrase Health, has really tried to do is when we started looking across all these domains, we identified there wasn't really a a holistic solution that spanned all three of these. And that's really where uh, my company's focus is on trying to deliver value in the governance realm by enabling reviews uh, delivering value in the analytics realm by actually providing visualizations and analytics that are tied to those reviews so that people who are assigned a review for an order set can actually see the analytics about how that order set is being used and by who and so on. And then finally, in the content space where we've been able to kind of automate that feedback process and uh, provide reviews, previews of the, the CDS so that people who are doing these um, governance or analytics can actually see how the content is designed. So putting that all together, I think, has been a focus of ours. I'm a, I come from an Epic shop, and we use this thing called the BPA Cube, and those of you in Epic shops out there will know probably have the same thing. This is a very blunt instrument. It gives me some high level, okay, how many alerts went off in the month? I might even be able to get down to which alerts and who it hit. 
but again, you tend to focus on, you sort it by, you know, which ones are hitting the most, and those are the ones you're going to go after. Now, I've seen your tool. I, I, I've seen a demo of this thing, and I really liked a couple of features. One of the features I really liked is the ability to see those alerts that are probably really pesky, but to only a few people that would never rise to the radar uh, that I'm looking at when I'm looking at, you know, alerts that are firing hundreds or thousands of times a month. So I really, I really like that feature of your tool. Is that is that one of the more common, uh, commonly requested items? Yeah. So so we look at the data, not just at the raw data that's coming through, but uh, along with working with a lot of my informatics colleagues, have been able to identify that. I think firing is is one measure that almost universally people look at, and and tools like the BPA Cube, which are are really solid and provide that. Uh, fundamental data to users is still just that raw data. So if you can start abstracting to a higher level and say, all right, well, this is firing a certain number of times, uh, but is it kind of distributed to a lot of people at the whole organization, or is it targeted just at a very small cohort of individuals? And this is some of the areas that we've looked in at adding additional measures to get insight into your CDS, something that we've called a burden index. Um, so you can envision an alert that fires 10 times for 10 different people is going to feel a lot different than one alert that fires 10 times to one person. I would argue that that latter alert is a lot more burdensome and having that insight is going to start helping you differentiate are there certain groups of uh, users that are getting really slammed versus is this alert, yeah, it's firing a lot, but it's actually not firing a ton per an individual at the organization. So I think looking uh, closer into the data and actually um, kind of creating higher level measures that give insight into how your CDS is performing is incredibly important and is going to go a long way in helping you decide what things to prioritize and what are things that are actually uh, doing okay while we put out these other fires. Another piece of the tool that I really liked is it almost seemed like you're having conversations around, let's say, an order set and you were you would be able to talk and record this is this is what we decide to do with this order set at this time and keep that that catalog that library of this is what's going on in our organization around these tools because i'll tell you one of the weaknesses at where i'm at right now is we you know, you know we'll i'm sure duplicate and go over information that we covered a year ago or uh, someone, you know, we get new people in and they, they don't have the history of what's going on with this particular uh, item. So I really like that feature. I'm sure that's another popular one. Agreed? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think what we've heard a lot, even at advanced organizations, honestly, is they have been on their EHR for so long that they honestly don't even know why things were changed, why they are there. Uh, and oftentimes this either lives in some email chain from years ago. Uh, or it was in the mind of a person who has now since left the organization. So that information has now been lost completely. So there are all of these kind of orphan pieces of CDS. And honestly, no one knows if we still need it. Can we take this out? And you're essentially starting from scratch when it comes to this governance. So by kind of linking the governance with the previews, with the analytics, and kind of having that as a single uh, source of truth where all of that metadata is collected over time, uh, people who are new to the organization or even just the CDS teams that are returning to it in the future. Or again, if you're bringing in quality improvement teams that have traditionally been siloed and now they're getting involved in a new project, they can now see the history of how this uh, 
uh, project kind of evolved over time and what were the different comments that, that people have uh, engaged in? Yeah, I think you, you touched on an interesting area that I think it's so important to have an owner of the clinical decision support tool and that owner most of the time hopefully is not the CMIO. It's going to be the operational leader because when something like you know you have an alert in place for meaningful use and then that changes who's keeping track of that and helping to eliminate the unwanted content and develop the new stuff and to put that all on the CMIO is a tremendous burden so hopefully there's there's others out there so you mentioned that it takes some people to do this roughly what do you think it takes in terms of analysts in terms of providers to to do good clinical decision support how many you know then we can start to talk about the economics of this what does it cost to do this right and you know what's the cost of not doing it what does alert fatigue or bad clinical decision support have, what does that do how does a cmio make the case for this sure so again this is kind of a fundamental um problem with clinical informatics i think as a field is that we don't have a billable code that we can bill a payer and get direct revenue, which I think is how traditionally health systems kind of view uh, supporting certain projects. Now, obviously, the EHR was implemented because of uh, ideas that it would be able to improve quality and uh, drive subsidies, uh, obviously, during the initial implementations. But now that we have these really robust tools, is I think a lot of organizations have at least settled on some minimal baseline functionality for their CDS group to say, all right, we're keeping the ship upright. We're able to respond to uh, kind of these break fixes and really urgent requests. Uh, so that I would say is kind of that minimal baseline. And I think almost universally, every organization has some system in place for implementing CDS and uh and trying to go through some intake process for for new requests just because i mean there aren't unlimited resources so you need to have some methodology for doing intake and evaluation so i think where it gets more interesting and just kind of going back to your question whether that is a single cmio which we've actually seen and i i don't think is optimal um, versus having a more robust system is really going to depend on the the complexity of the organization I have not seen a multi-hospital system have a single person kind of head that, where I have seen smaller uh, hospital systems have that single person. So again, I, I do think kind of what that minimal baseline of just keeping the ship afloat is, is going to vary depending on the hospital uh, or the health system. I think when you start looking at how do we start uh, kind of taking our CDS to the next level, and not just be very reactive, but start being proactive about doing reviews. And to your point before, I think there's just absolutely no way that a single CMIO can be the responsible stakeholder for all CDS. That's just not realistic uh, because the CMIO is, is almost definitely not going to be uh, a rheumatologist, a cardiologist, an emergency physician, uh, all kind of baked into one. So they aren't going to be the subject matter expert. They aren't going to be the person who's necessarily building the content. So you do need to start engaging stakeholders uh, from the clinical realm. And actually some of the early research that we've done with a lot of these interviews with organizations is that more than 60% of the people who are involved in CDS governance actually are 
kind of quote unquote stolen from either IS or the clinical realm and aren't really compensated for their, their time. So that's really kind of a, a drain on the institution where these people are, are getting engaged. So I think ultimately moving from this, uh, from this system where you have a, a governance of just kind of keeping the lights on and starting to do process improvement starts taking, I think, access to data and whether that is dedicated analysts, which I think is an expensive way of doing it versus uh, uh, tools like dashboards, which can, which can try to automate some of those common queries. Uh, I think there isn't a set number of people, but I think there's definitely analytics capabilities that you need. I think governance, as, as we talked about before, you're definitely gonna need people engaged. You're gonna need the quality improvement people who are making a lot of these requests to be the ones monitoring the CDS and actually presenting it back to the group. Uh, I think going back to one of your earlier questions about how do you kind of make sure that you get this governance and these reviews done is we've seen some organizations actually require that if we are going to implement some new CDS that you come back in that one month or six month period to actually present those measures that you wanted in the first place and make sure that they're improving. So. I think it's a long-winded way of saying there isn't a specific number of people. It's going to vary. Uh, I think there are ways of trying to limit the number of people and use tools and technology to supplement, especially around things like analytics. Obviously, governance is going to be hard to uh, completely replace with technology. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I do think there's going to be a lot of variation when it comes to figuring that out. I think we're going to have to have an entire episode devoted to the ROI of informatics just because it is such a topic that hits all of our heartstrings in terms of do, you, do your senior leaders really buy into what it is that we do? Do they understand what it is that we do and the value it brings? Sure. We'll, and, we'll have to have you back on for something like that. Yeah, and I think the costs are, are the one piece, but then kind of to your point are, are what are the benefits? and. Some, some people have presented, and actually one health system in uh, upstate New York at Rochester has presented some really nice uh, data around kind of financial ROI that they've gotten from CDS improvement. Um, but that required a lot of effort on their, on their team's uh, kind of group to actually generate that data and present mm -hmm. it. Other people have uh, presented on dwell time. So for alerts, how long are people spending on interruptive alerts? And if you can cut out millions of these firings, that can actually deliver a lot of financial ROI in, in the context of saving time that you're giving back to these clinicians. You could start looking at uh, project gains. So being able to complete a project instead of in a year, now that we have a more rapid cycle and more access to data and better governance systems, instead of a year, we can do it in six months or three months. Uh, and then even the effort that goes in, instead of a report writer spending two hours to write a report, if you have tools that you're giving them, maybe it only takes them an hour or 30 minutes. So these are all areas that you can start savings. And then obviously physician burnout, which no one can claim that that's directly uh, solely responsible from the EHR, but clearly a contributing factor um, and the costs associated with physicians leaving practices, then IT satisfaction. So Maybe they're doing less menial reporting and they're doing more meaningful work uh, because a lot of that menial reporting has been replaced by uh, automated self-service dashboards, for example. Sure. So final question for you. Uh, any advice to someone who's looking to get into the field of informatics? There's lots of providers I hear from who are 
starting out, they want to dip their toe in, they're not quite sure they're ready to, to, to you know, go a 0.5 into this, but what, how do they get started? Sure. So I can speak from a perspective, uh, first and foremost, as somebody who went through a fellowship. So obviously anyone who has interest in doing a clinical informatics fellowship, a formal one, uh, again, we won't have time to kind of talk about that because that would also be its entire own podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, anyone who's interested in that can reach out to me. But just at a high level, the, the ACGME Clinical Informatics Fellowship is two years long. Um, there are now many, many uh, health systems around the country that offer these fellowships. Uh, and typically, they range from one fellow a year to, I think, up to maybe five uh, fellows a year at, at some of the larger uh, programs. Uh, and, and I think really what that drove, uh, especially where I did my fellowship at Children's Hospital of, of Philadelphia, was protected time to be able to get mentorship, um, to be able to really fiddle with some of my personal interests, which initially was really interoperability, um, and then becoming uh, very interested in clinical decision support. There are a lot of really remarkable people in the field who have published a lot in decision support, so to be able to work under their mentorship and then being at a place that has institutional infrastructure to, to play around with some of these things. So uh, having access to data systems and the EHR and all of those things, I think, are very uh, valuable. And I think if you start thinking about going through a practice pathway, I think obviously a lot of people have done that and I think is, is also a very valid uh, approach. But it is always going to be in the context of uh, a boss telling you, you have to kind of work on this project. We need you to review order sets uh, and kind of a very defined scope of how you're going to start getting involved. So the one plug that I, I always make for a clinical informatics fellowship is it is this protected time uh, where uh, you are going to obviously be re required to work on some certain things, but you are going to also have the flexibility to really explore whatever it is that interests you, whether it's uh, accessing analytics and, and doing data analysis, or whether it is more an operational governance. We had some people in our fellowship who approached informatics really from a quality improvement perspective. They were not technical at all, uh, but they came in because they identified that the EHR and kind of looking at these systems as a whole was really the way that you could really kickstart process improvement and quality improvement and safety at an organization. So. Uh, ultimately, you don't need to be technical, so if you're not a computer programmer, that, that shouldn't scare you away. Um, I think if you have interest in really exploring uh, your, uh, your passions in this field, I would definitely consider a clinical informatics fellowship uh, as something to pursue, and, and again, would be happy to uh, connect with anyone offline about my experiences going through that. If people wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so feel free to, to email me, mark, M-A-R-C, uh, at phrasehealth.com. Also, uh, can reach out to my LinkedIn profile as well, Mark Tobias. Uh, so be happy to kind of discuss any of these topics. And, and one other plug that I'll make is we're still very engaged in uh, doing research in the CDS space because there still is a lot that's unknown about uh, what makes the best CDS. So... If anyone wants to get engaged in some of our research projects, feel free to reach out to me. One of the projects we're working on right now is really analyzing the intake process and prioritization process for CDS. 
Um, so we're starting to collect some of those artifacts around intake forms and, and so on. So anyone who would want to kind of uh, participate in that or be engaged in that, feel free to reach out to me as well. Mark, this has been phenomenal. Really, obviously, you're, you're brilliant in the field here, a definite uh, a leader trailblazing the way for others. So thank you for coming on. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get you to come back again to talk about some of these other topics. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. And you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or go to the website cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you would like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. I look forward to bringing you our next episode.